Coming at you live from Barbie Land, a monarchy funded by a single gold mine and spoken through too many accents to name, it's Cartoon Net in Canada. Hey, what you watching? yet another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic podcast where we dig through the animated past to find what cartoons made here in Canada are worth remembering. I'm your co-host Chris Lucy Antonio. And I'm your co-host Sylvie Kettles. Sylvie, nah. let's, let, let's, let's just wrap a little bit about um, the global cinematic phenomenon that is Barbie. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about um, the global cinematic phenomenon that is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Not a phenomenon yet. Yet. Give it time. That movie's for kids, and kids are going to go see it. It it deserves to be a phenomenon, 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 do 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 do. Beautiful. Anyway, we we both have seen the the Barbie movie as we are both patrons of the arts. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. I like I like to give uh, Greta Gerwig a little bit of walking around money. Yeah, why not? Let her do her thing because <laughs> she's good at it, and I like to support blockbuster movies that are thinly veiled commercials that have artistry behind them god have you seen mattel's like oh this has opened the door for us to make movies about all of our properties right yeah mattel taking the wrong conclusion from the success of barbie absolutely i saw that yeah, yeah god the fact that uh gerwig said in an interview like about the the films that inspired uh barbie she equated mattel and the look of Mattel uh, to something that Jacques Tati would do. Look, I get where she went with that, and having seen the movie, I totally see where the inspiration ha- was replicated in the movie. Yeah. But also, that has Todd Phillips saying that uh, Chantel Ackerman's News from Home inspired Joker energy. Okay. <laughs> Directors sometimes just be talking. Sometimes directors just like movies and they really want you to think of another movie when you think of their movie too it's great marketing because i i just feel like when that movie was announced uh you know greta gerwig's barbie greta gerwig hot indie director who has a string of great success behind her great movies ladybird uh little women and then just as more and more information came out of it it just became a Oh, so this is going to really appeal to the letterbox cinephile crowd. Yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely did, is the thing. I mean, that's how, like, Barbenheimer became a thing. It, like, was latched onto it because people who are going to go see Barbie, like, the people who are really going to see that movie, as in, like, write to intro to film papers on it, mm-hmm. we're going to go see Oppenheimer anyway. The did same you, did clientele. You full, did you do a full Barbenheimer? No, they were separated by 24 hours because I don't have that much time. Yeah, that's, that is a big ask. Not a, not a big ask, but an expensive ask. I can't, I can't justify spending $35 at the movie theater in, a in one day. day. Yeah, that's fair. 
Yeah, there was, um, it has been pointed out that this is, this like, the second time it, it's happened in about 20 years because Dark Mama walked so that Barbenheimer could run. Yeah, but nobody did Dark Mama. Did no one do Dark Mama? No, because this is the first I've ever heard of Dark Mama being a thing. What you're referring to, the Dark Knight and Mama Mia yes. releasing on the same day. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I was only 13 at, the, at that time, so, like... Yeah, I think people are just looking for an explanation for how, how Barbenheimer became a thing, how Barbie became a thing, and the, the, the simple explanation is that people wanted to see the, these movies. I think the simplest explanation is that cringe is dying. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, people are a lot more willing to be like, no, I will unapologetically go to see a very girly movie. I will take it seriously as cinema and i'm gonna dress up for it i mean the the fan participation thing yes. like i still see whenever i'm like near a theater here in toronto just a group of people in pink walking towards one of the many cineplexes yeah when uh, even when i went i did go to see uh ninja turtles there was still a significant amount of people in the lobby just in coordinated pink outfits and it was just great to be like i know what you're here to see I, even in my uh, Oppenheimer IMAX screening, which was sold out, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to see that movie doing well. Uh, I had There was somebody dressed up as Oppenheimer. Nice. Like, the hat, the suit, everything. Just yeah. You uh, had to take the hat off because he was sitting in front of somebody, but hey, he committed to the bid. Yeah. My, uh, my friends, did they did a full Barbenheimer in a single day because they're lunatics, and I did get to see pictures of... They're like, you know, uh, 30s, 40s inspired outfits. It was basically like closet cosplay. I'm, I'm going to like, if The Great Gatsby, the Baz Luhrmann film, was released today, there'd be a similar thing happening for that Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. People didn't understand the it at the time. Came it's out okay. at the wrong time. Yeah. That movie's great. You're all wrong. <laughs> so, yes, we're, t- we're talking, talking about Barbie. About- we're talking about the global cinematic phenomenon that is Barbie because we are once again doing some very on-purpose programming with this show. We're trying so hard, you guys. No, we did not cancel a previous episode and realized, hey, Barbie's still going to be in theaters. Should we do something with that? Oh, fuck. Like, whoops. Oh, well. But thank God, Barbie being the media empire that it is since the 2000s, we had a plethora of Barbie content produced here in Canada to select from. Yeah, we had we had a lot of choices. Yeah. Uh, here, actually, let me let me just do this right now, live. Uh, just look up all of them? Yes, I, I want a number. I want a number on this. Do, 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 do. Only direct-to-DVD uh, animated CGI films. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, and twenty-eight as of this year. I'm sorry, there's thirty. What are the other two then? You're missing Barbie in Princess Power and Barbie in Rock and Roll Royals. That's not even on my supposedly comprehensive list of barbie cgi films they're both from 2015 uh what list are you looking at because i'm looking at the list of barbie animated films 
And I'm sorry, I'm at 35. Sorry, 42. Are you... Sorry, what? <laughs> um, see, they're broken up into eras. We've got adaptations and original plots from 2001 to 2009, which is where we... Our, our film is fits squarely into. We've got modern day plots from 2010 to 2015. Uh, you know why? You know why? Because my list is only consisted of hyperlinks to other wikipedia pages oh uh weak sauce uh we've also got end of home video releases from 2015 to 2017 and then the pre and post dreamhouse adventures 2017 to present pre and post dreamhouse adventures like it's a fucking story arc well because there was i think i think uh dreamhouse adventures is like a tv series there are 42 and that's just the animated ones so of these 40, goddamn things. So 43, including uh, Gerwig's. There you go. Look at that. Um, wow. Yeah. Eat your fucking heart out, Land Before Time. Barbie is a fucking institution. And you can thank us Canadians, uh, parents out there, for forcing you to buy these direct-to-DVD Barbie movies for your little girl because... They're all coming from the same place. It's all mainframe, baby! This is what they're known for. Well, you know, they they got tired of um, completely reinventing CGI animation for the purposes of television. And then they were like, hey, and then Mattel was like, hey, uh, we will give you infinite money to just constantly be putting out Barbie things. And they were like, that sounds like a gig. And they've been sitting comfortably in that ever since yeah i think it was a literal dr dump truck full of money yeah. that mattel backed up into the driveway of the mainframe entertainment studio and just proceeded to ca uh, force a cash avalanche into yeah. their offices and their hands were tied yeah, they, they were in the barbie business yeah well, what what were you gonna do what are you gonna do go go back to the absolute havoc that is figuring out how this technology works, designing the technology as you have a show that you need to produce. Where... Get on the Barbie bandwagon. Barbie or bust. Barbie or bust. And with all of these possible films to pick from, we decided on one, just one, but you're adamant we will talk about all of these fucking things. Eventually, yeah, we have to. God. I hope that happens post my podcasting retirement. Um... I don't want to talk about it. There's so many. There's 42 of them and counting. I mean, come on. Do you not? We have to talk about Fairytopia, though. though that's where Bibble is. The fuck are you even saying to me? <laughs> what, what, are, what is that string of words that you are claiming as a sentence? What, what is this? We gotta talk Bibble? about Bibble, though. Are you okay? <laughs> Wait, what? Do you not know Bibble? Do, do I not know Bibble? Like, this is a thing that people know. <laughs> you really what you, should what? know about Bibble. I should know about Bibble? You should know about Bibble. Bibble says trans rights. I'm not going to send you a Bibble. You have to find Bibble yourself. I'm not going to look for Bibble. I do, what are you talking about? <laughs> God. Oh, okay. Uh, real quick before we get into the episode proper, uh, we have not had a chance to say this on a recording thus far. But we here at Cartoon Night in Canada stand with the strikers of the WGA and SAG after 
strikes. Yeah, we forgot to say it last week, and I remembered as soon as we finished recording. Thank you for remembering this time. Uh, we stand with the strikers, pay them what they're owed, and fuck AI. Yeah. It's not a, it it's not the way to go for this art form. Pay pay your writers, pay your actors, pay everyone the residuals they are entitled to, and uh, protect everyone from AI bullshit. Give up. 0.05% of your revenue just to pay them what they're owed. Someone has done the calculations. It's such an easy fix. God, this... it's disgusting how greedy they are. Yep. And I I felt like it was necessary to say that because while we are not quote-unquote influencers, we are reviewing this movie, so that, to speak. Uh, this is still a film that is in theaters uh, and we don't want this to be confused with any promotion or anything like that we stand we would like like to see the kens and barbies of gerwig's movie on the picket line as well yeah would love that uh warner brothers did not pay us to say that gerwig's movie is good um and if they had we wouldn't we wouldn't yes 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 yeah, no yes yeah. no yes. that's right <laughs> sorry I, I was doing some like calculations in yeah, my head but yes some, no some word math just some, you know, looking at my finances and it's like, hmm, scabbing. Uh, no. No, never. No. I have conviction. <laughs> All right, shall we get into it? Let's. I'm just like you. I think that's true. You're just like me. Yes, I can see. We take responsibility. We carry through. We carry through. Do what we need to do. Yes, I am a girl like you. Just like you, I'm just like you, you're just like me, you're just like me. It's something anyone can see. A heart that beats, a, a voice that speaks the truth. Yes, I am a girl like you. So for our very special Pink Barbie podcast, we had so many direct-to-DVD titles to pick from, as we said, but we went with this one, some a uh, one that Sylvie is adamant is the iconic one. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, I, I, there's a few, I quote-unquote, iconic Barbie movies, but this is, the like, the first one that cropped to mind. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word for that. You are much more tuned in to the viral sensation that is Barbie as the princess and the popper. Sorry, Barbie, TM. TM. As the Princess and the Popper, mm -hmm. which is the film we are doing today. The film was directed by William Lau, his first of ten times in the director's chair for the Barbie films, and written by Cliff Ruby and Elena Lesser. It was produced by who else? Mainframe Entertainment. Our friends, your friends and mine. It's a CGI production from Canada. There is only one. And released on DVD on September 28th, 2004, and later premiered on television on Nickelodeon in 2004, the same year, like, I think in November. Um, so let's get into it right here. Why is this the one we went with? Um, I think this one just is the one that I hear the most about, you know, on my ramblings on the internet. Like, if, if, a, Barbie, if a Barbie movie is coming up, it's either going to be Princess and the Popper or Fairytopia. It's, it's got, it was the first musical Barbie movie, so a lot of the music really 
stuck. It, it has, there's a lot of nostalgia value for a lot of people now. Um, and a couple of the songs are currently trending on TikTok. And that just actually feels completely independent of the Gerwig Barbie movie. Absolutely. Like, because that TikTok, just... It, it just does that. It just finds sounds and makes them go viral. Yeah. Like, um, it was, it was really interesting in the, like, lead up to the Gerwig movie, the amount of people who were concerned about, about whether or not it would stay true to the, the animated Barbie movie vibe. And it Thank God that it be- didn't. Yeah, no, because it's it's absolutely more a movie about the doll franchise, more so than the movies. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting because oh, I think you uh, you're completely accurate. This is a like the reason why this one is the iconic one. When I'll I'll just say it without having seen the other forty one Barbie CGI movies, mm-hmm. they all kind of look alike. Um, the reason why this is iconic is because it's. Every, like a certain generation who has just discovered TikTok and other social media sites and with the coming of the Barbie movie by Gerwig, they are rediscovering something from their childhood and an unlocked memory and it's being shared by that same generation. It just, they probably have seen all of them. It's just this one stuck out for one reason or the other, possibly because like, I mean, they're all pretty much made back to back because Mattel was so desperate to revitalize the barbie name brand yeah like i didn't i was never uh into these barbie movies even though i was like in the perfect age bracket for it mm-hmm. um but i did have a younger cousin who owned most of them yeah you just yeah. you just get them all because they're they're produced uh well they're not produced cheaply but they are sold cheaply yes. and you could just get like a bundle of them on dvd at your local walmart and there you go that'll keep your kid occupied yeah, and I mean, it did. And I think, like, even then, Princess and the Popper was kind of her go-to. So there you go. I, I mean, we'll have to, in our exhaustive side series, going through every one of mm-hmm. these mainframe Barbie movies. Maybe we'll have this to come is up... the best one. Maybe this is the best one. We'll have to come up with a name for that side series. Yeah, like, maybe this is just sincerely the best Barbie movie in this chunk and so, like, there's a good reason why a lot of people are nostalgic for this one more so than some of the others. Sure, why not? I'll go with it. Um, let's just talk a little bit about the strange naming convention for some of these movies. Because this is what really fascinated me when uh, I was looking up some information on these productions and when they came out, what they were doing. Um, the fact that they're all kind of named, like, Barbie is a real person. Yes. Uh, like an they, actor. They went for, like, the Looney Tunes or Muppets style convention where all the Barbies and Kens are actors. They're playing roles. They are not Barbie in the movies. They are Barbie as the Nutcracker, Barbie as Rapunzel. And the movie's called Barbie as Rapunzel, or yes. in this case, Barbie as the Princess and the Popper. Both yes, played. Bar- yeah, Barbie plays both. They are, they are voiced by a Canadian actress, but they are played by Barbie playing two roles see this is why this is why the Gerwig film is so fascinating to me in the way that it's working within the strange conceptual basis of Barbie not as a doll not as a character but as a name brand yeah because that's what these movies are kind of (laughs) doing yeah Barbie is just I mean she's an idea oh yeah it's it's just 
Barbie as this character in this movie. It's stereotypical Barbie. It's well, Alan's different, but just Alan is Barbie. Perfect. Alan is perfect. Isn't it great that just weird tangent? Isn't it great that the two best performances in that film were done by Canadians? Who is who is the other? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Ryan. I forget. I always forget that Ryan is Canadian. It's like yeah. God, love that for us. Anyway, I love uh, boys. yeah. So it's just a weird thing that even today, when like the the interest around Gerwig's film was like, what exactly do you do with Barbie? How do you make a Barbie movie? And here it's like, well, how do we make a Barbie movie? We'll base it off of like a well known literary property. Yeah, they, they and just go, put Barbie in there. They go the Muppets route. They go the Muppets route. Yeah, just, that's just not plonk your your figures into a story make it fit with your brand of humor or lack thereof in this case. Yeah. It's not a very funny movie. It's not a very, it's not a movie. It's barely a movie. It is in that it tells the story of the prince and the pauper. Sort of. Like, there's so much padding in this. Why is this an hour and 25 minutes anyway? um, Yeah, so in this case... We're not dealing with Swan Lake, we're not dealing with Rapunzel or any other story that would also end up in fucking Shrek 2. This is Barbie as the Princess and the Pauper, loosely, loosely, loosely based off of Mark Twain's novel, The Prince and the Pauper. Um, Yeah, what were your thoughts on this movie? Let's get it out there. Well. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, that's about right. (laughs) I don't get it. I didn't hate it. But I don't get it. And that's, I mean, that's a hundred percent because I didn't watch this when I was nine years old. Like, the the reason why this, this movie didn't click for me is because I am not a wee child. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but even then I don't get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, this was never going to appeal to me just on a basis of what the film is about and the character it's using, the concept it's using. I mean... But, also, granted, um, I, I had Barbies. I didn't play with them right. Oh, you made some weird Barbies. <laughs> I made weird Barbies. Um, specifically, um, my Barbies were a... Because uh, I, I don't think I had any Kens either. So I, they were all presumably lesbians. It was a nudist colony of uh, Barbies who were hell-bent on destroying the... Um, the peaceful lives that my Beanie Babies had carved out for themselves. You are painting a very early 2000s picture right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, looking back with, like, my present politics, my, my nudist colony of, of communist Barbies were absolutely the good guys because they were trying to take down the Beanie Baby monarchy. Yes, the, the monarchy built out of the first ever um, board apes. How dare you? Look, just because you can hold them and squeeze them and, like, hug them doesn't mean that they were only valued because some catalog said that they were worth a lot of money. Some ledger that if it could have been online, it would would have been. See, I didn't... That's not the value they had, though, Chris. They were my friends. Sure, yes. But I'm sure if you talk to Snoop Dogg, his bored ape is also his friend. Yeah, but he can't play with it. He can't. He's trying. I don't know if you've seen recent um, concert footage from Snoop Dogg. Yeah, he can try all he wants. 
he, he brings out people dressed as his little uh, NFT there, and he's dancing with it. Yeah, but like, are it's they sad. Having, are they having grand adventures at sea? Well, he's probably doped out of his mind, so maybe. Well, that sounds like a him problem. Uh, yeah. Uh, this movie is kind of exactly what you'd expect as a very loose transposing of Twain's novel, which I have not read, but I have seen a version of The Prince and the Pauper story done in, like, every other children's cartoon I think I've ever watched. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fairly simple story. People from two different backgrounds look eerily similar, stumble upon one another, realize, oh, ho, ho, we can get up to some shenanigans with this. We can do a little swapping. Um, in this case, neither Annalise or Erica are the ones to instigate the swap. I kind of like that twist. Yeah. I think it's an original spin on the Prince and the Pauper, the fact that they occupy each other's roles, one princess, one uh, dressmaker. That By is accident. In, that's in literal debtor's prison. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, and it's completely done by forces that are not them. They do not make a conscious decision. It's just thrust upon them because that is Barbie's whole deal. <laughs> Things happen to her at the whims of a child. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, it's I all guess. Imagination. Sure. And, and I guess this is maybe some of the reason why people are trying to reclaim this film because what's it about? It's like learning the horrors of class and social inequality under mismanaged monarchy. Yeah, I was, uh, not, I wasn't surprised to see that it was like, oh, the the queen is benevolent and cares about the plight of her people. Um, sure. But, uh, also, it was really extremely funny to see a queen claiming to care about the plights of her people while, uh, being served caviar for breakfast. Like, this is not a radical Barbie because the prince and the pauper, like, it's, it's what that story is about. It's mm-hmm. learning how the other side lives across the class line. Yes. And kind of le- it leads you to the same point on both sides. It's like, yeah, we're all kind of unhappy. Yeah, no one no one is truly happy because everyone has responsibilities. Because we live under, well, not capitalism, but we live under an aristocracy. We li- like we have I these mean, this cla- is Barbie capitalism, I'll say it. Yeah, it's it's still a Mattel product. So yeah. no matter what, but because people are divided into class structures, we are always going to be unhappy based on those expectations. Anyway, the film doesn't do anything with that because it's made for little girls. Yeah, because we can't we can't have a serious talk about deconstructing a monarchy. But there's weird lip service paid to it every now and then. Like, I mean, especially through Erica's whole ordeal. Like, there's there's one line where like the um uh the dress shop owner Mrs. Carp. Mrs. Carp has this whole thing about how oh you're going to be indebted to me for 34 years and Erica says but I've already paid off half of my parents debt and Mrs. Carp highlights and we forgot about the interest. That's just student loans baby. Well no and then then the, the better line right after that is like like, well, your parents should have taken all those loans. It's like, well, they were feeding me. They Their mistake. Thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it does, it absolutely pays the lip service to the horrors of being in debt and how expensive poverty is. But, like, on the inverse, it's just saying, like, yeah, but if we could all live in, in a palace, we'd be great. Yeah, if we all, specifically, if we all lived in a palace, but we're still nice to our servants. 
then it's all fixed. Yeah. Like that's, that's the perfect society. Like society, if the princess and the pauper were real. Yeah. A utopia, really. People still need to be servants for this to work. And yes, and our entire economy is based out of a single mine. God, a single mine that looks like, weirdly, like the temple in Petra, Jordan. <laughs> like, I don't know why they picked that as their as their go-to for the exterior shot of the mine, but that was my first thought was, did they watch did they watch uh, Indiana Jones before they made this? I mean, there's only so many ways to do a mine. I, I'm assuming. It's either that or they played Donkey Kong Country recently. True. <laughs> um, but it's so it's so funny because it's like, how do we explain the monarchy to little girls? Oh, I know. We are all funded by a gold mine and whoops, the gold ran out, so we're poor. Yeah. The no, kingdom is out of money. We're not going to get into the vital role that farming and agriculture plays on a nation's uh, success or failure, but just gold. No, yeah. When, when the gold ran out, the, the kingdom went bankrupt. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> it's a gold-based economy. I mean, I guess. I, I, that just made me laugh so hard in that first introduction of that. It's like, well... <sighs> like, oh, this is, this is how we're going to uh, promote, like, present our problems. Got it. The mine's all dried up. Looks like you have to marry a king. I mean, that's just the Middle Ages. Yeah, when the mine dries up, you have to marry into another kingdom. Yeah. And thank God, when that happens, it's like, well, actually, the other king that you're marrying, he's, like, exactly your age and loving and actually wants to get to know you. Thank God. <laughs> That's what kings are like, right? Royalty is good, says Barbie. <laughs> I mean, it does point out that... I mean, does not point out, but it does have, like, a weird, much older guy trying to marry a teenager... That's in our villain. Yeah. It's... I was, like, honestly disappointed that the film gave up on that very quickly and had him instead go, like, oh, ho, ho, I will in now instead marry the age-appropriate queen. It's so it's so much more slimy that way for some yeah. reason. And it's, because yeah. it, it's, we'll get into the cast later, but it's Martin Short doing his best, like, old aristocratic scumbag like a john malkovich in dangerous liaisons it's exactly it yeah but so much more over the top and less sexual because he's not it's it's a movie for it's, little girls I mean, so of course not. they don't have genitals no no they don't yeah <laughs> this is barbie we don't have to worry about that we don't have to worry about how the two cats have a litter it just happens yeah no that's that don't don't ask questions about that so I, there is one thing I'm going to take umbrage with, which is the claim uh, by the Wikipedia page that this is the first Barbie film that completely excludes fantastic elements such as fairies, magic, and mermaids. Bullshit. All the animals are talking. Yeah, but they don't talk to people. Doesn't matter. This is a, this is a Homeward Bound style situation. Homeward Bound is magical. Because I can feel the magic. I mean... <laughs> Shadow. Shadow's the gold retriever. I was thinking, like, okay, we got Sassy, Chance, and Shadow. Are... Oh my god, right. I, I, I couldn't think of um, Chance. Yeah. God, just, what a... Okay, okay, mild point of order. Shadow is a garbage name for a golden retriever. You had a cat there. Shadow would none work for it. None of them should be named Shadow. No, but none of the names are really great. No, Sassy, it's... Chance, and 
shadow. Sassy just feels like a that, that's a that's a common cat name. It's gotta be. I guess so. Anyway, we're talking about Barbie, not talking Homer about Bound. Barbie. Homer Bound. We'll talk about somewhere else because it's filmed in Vancouver. There we go. <laughs> As with this, technically. Yeah. So let's get. Um, we could talk about the plot, but it's the Prince and the Pauper scenario. Yeah, we know. Just padded out with a lot of songs. And some uh, animal shenanigans. A lot of animal sh- Oh my god, every time that fucking poodle started chasing one of the cats, I'm like, how long is this gonna go how on many, for? How many problems are gonna be caused by a fucking poodle? Well, I will say, also, I was super happy because, you know, I grew up on, like, Disney movies where cats are often the villains because, you know, mice are the heroes. It was- <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me so much, but yeah, okay. It was, it was like, tiny bit- tiny bit refreshing for my my inner child to just for once see like a dog be a bad guy <laughs> yeah sure uh, yeah i see it um but enough about those animals yeah. um we'll get back into them when we talk about the cast uh let's God, get into our we? probably we, we won't do a lot but we'll, we'll 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 cross off the big names um We'll get into our favorite topic, why it looked like that. Christopher. Yes? I have a very, very serious question. I think I know what it is, but go on. Do you? Do you really? Oh, I think I do. Yeah. (laughs) Why it looked like that? It looked like that. This is going to be a short one. It looked like that because this is Mainframe Entertainment, the preeminent studio for CGI animation in Canada by default, and this is 2004 CGI animation done on a direct-to-DVD budget. Yep. There you go. Um, It's so smooth. It is and it isn't, and I think it's a conscious decision because of what I call the Toy Story effect. Yeah, because, like, they are, I mean, this is Barbie and Ken playing roles, so, like, they know that they have it in the backs of their heads, these are dolls at the end of the day. Yeah, they can look a little plastically and uh, plasticky and rigid because much like the animators of Toy Story figured out, like we can't fucking do human skin. We can't do uh, human bodies yet. I mean, they could because I'll get into that. But because we're dealing with toys, we don't they have can to. look a little rough around the edges. Yeah, we can. We can be a little, not necessarily corner cutty, but like we can take liberties. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is coming from the fact that because this was completely sponsored by Mattel, uh, they were fronting the bill for it. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, you, the aforementioned dump, dump truck full of money. Yes, but that dump truck full of money, that's a little exaggerated. They were working with whatever budget they were going to be given for a direct-to-DVD movie for the Barbie franchise, which at the time, like, I mean, post- even- I was going to say, even, like, at, at this time, 2004, we're still doing direct-to-VHS. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, DVDs that... exist, but these are these are going to be tapes first. No, this one wasn't. This one, there's no uh, information on a VHS release, but I think the first one, Nutcracker, was. Yeah. Because by 2005, VHS was completely phased out. Yes. Um, the, with this one, specifically, uh, to put it into perspective of, like, the timeline of mainframe productions... This is their fourth movie with the Barbie license and their 17th overall production between TV specials, movies, and TV series. So, 
they know what they're doing. Yeah. And they're they're capable of better CGI animation than this. Yeah, like I mean, fuck, we when we last touched on Beast Wars, it looks a lot better than this. I would I would even argue like Scary Godmother looks better than this. A lot. But we're dealing that has a tone that has a texture to it. This is Barbie. Yeah, so they've off they've obviously softened everything. And you're working within limitations. So mm-hmm. it's perfectly acceptable if rigid and stiff, but we can literally explain that away based on the property itself, which is pretty yeah. nice for those animators. Like they we can't judge them too hardly because we're dealing with a doll movie. Yeah. That's I mean we can look at I don't know, we could look at Toy Story 3's Barbie. And I'm gonna say she moves too much. Yeah. They kinda dropped the ball for that. You think yeah. Pixar would uh, have that attention to detail, but no. She's she's too bendy. I forgot Barbie was actually in that movie. And Ken. And Ken. Wow. I, I haven't seen that movie forever. Probably never will. I, I still have not seen Toy Story 4. I haven't either. Good. Yeah. Again, probably won't. Well, because I did see Toy Story 3, and it was a perfect conclusion. I don't need a fourth one. No, but speaking of unnecessary sequels, um, <laughs> just to put it further into perspective of where CGI animation was at the time and what we were capable of doing with this technique now, after, mm-hmm. like, you know, years of fine-tuning it. Uh, same year, 2004. Appleseed, Shrek 2, Shark Tale, The Polar Express, Immortal, The Incredibles, and most important of them all, Spookly, The Squared Pumpkin. I knew immediately you were going to Google that one. <laughs> who, is, who is this boy? It, that is Spookly. Who is this little boy? That is Spookly, the square pumpkin, the 2004 CGI phenomenon. Oh, but have you seen the book? Of course, it's based on a book. <laughs> oh my god, he's got like, um, this is like a, this is like a precious moments face. Ew, Yeah. <laughs> Also, on the DVD cover, there is just another pumpkin with, like, voluptuous lips. What's going on with that one? What the fuck is her deal? Uh, so, just so you know, it's a, that is a Canadian film. Good. So we will... We'll cover it. We'll be forced. Our hands okay. will be tied. <gasps> Can we tied. do that for Halloween this year? I guess we have to. <laughs> I said it. Now we have to. Uh, but, yeah, I... I, I think the animation in the princess and the popper it goes back and forth but depending on what character we're looking at like the the quality of animation and the fluidity it can like it can shift radically between characters like the uh preminger the martin short character mm. his two little goons yeah horrible to look at nick nick and knock yes nick and knock hilarious um terrible facial animation the stiffest awkward uh motion for a lot of their movements but like for Preminger and specifically uh the two Barbie characters and Elise and Erica great animation like yeah perfectly acceptable fluid it it actually feels like a doll-like character moving yeah I think that has a lot to do with the fact that like they know that this is what your audience is going to be paying more attention to yeah, you can cut corners. You can absolutely yeah. not spend as much time on Nick and Nock. You're not going to sell any dolls of those guys. Yeah, like, you know that those are the characters that they they say and do the stupid things, so they can do whatever, and and it'll be passable. Mm-hmm. But every, like, 
obviously your princesses, your leads, are going to be the ones that you want to be the most on model at all times. You want them to be the most, like, visually distracting. Right, and you, you're working off of a known model, as in the doll itself. Mm-hmm. So you a can... literal model. Like, you can literally get as close as possible to the doll itself, because you have... You have that model. It's it's perfect. Do you think that somewhere in mainframe studios, like hard drives, there is a uh, like a few dozen Barbies just t posing? Yep, a thousand percent. <laughs> like I would even go further and say like when the Mattel contract came through, like the head honchos at mainframe just sat down at a table with a bunch of Barbie dolls and just started like playing with them. Like hmm. They okay. should. I would expect nothing here. less out of animators. Yes, yes, I see. Like Write anim- that down. Yeah, animators absolutely would want to get the physical model on their hands so that they can be like, okay, what, how much can this move? And they, I mean, they don't, they don't stick to that because as science has proven, Barbie can't move. But otherwise, I think they do a good job of m- making a kind of physical domain for barbie to exist in by using a a much more rigid kind of cgi animation that that mainframe entertainment is capable of doing better but because of budget constraints and because of the nature of the brand you are adapting i think it works fine like i don't have a lot of complaints i will say this movie's very dark for some reason like visually the lighting itself yeah like there are a lot of bland kind of tones to it and a lot of stuff is just kind of ugly looking yeah i mean especially the backgrounds obviously but like even the the colors that they've got our leads in are very washed out yeah it's it's a weird pull for something that is associated with pink the most vibrant color there is yeah like i mean especially annalise's quote-unquote favorite dress is like such a pale pastel pink it's it's not, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not her color. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't go speak well with, Barbie. like, her, her complexion, doesn't go well with her hair. Same thing with Erica, where, like, her hair is, like, this weird pale brown. <laughs> and it's like, girl, you need a darker shade of blue to really go with that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I will say, like, the, the hair textures, well, not hair textures, but, like, hair motion mm-hmm. is part where like mainframe is attempting to show off every now and then yeah they're absolutely flexing with like hey look look at what we can make hair do look we can put this character's head in a shawl and have her reveal her hair in like a fluid shot Mm -hmm. look how good we are because they are good (laughs) please let us do more no okay no not today okay next maybe next movie like oh what's the next movie barbie and whatever hmm uh well the next one specifically is uh, Barbie, the Barbie Fairytopia, the first one. The first one, yep. Well, because yep. there's also Barbie Fairytopia and Mermaidia. And so, so Barbie much... Fairytopia, Magic of the Rainbow. Oh, thank God. Yeah, Barbie Fairytopia is a fucking franchise in and of itself. I'm taking back what I said. I don't want to do that side series anymore. No! <laughs> what did you think about the music? Okay, here's where we might differ. I liked it. Okay, we will differ. Yeah. Like, I don't... I mean, most of the music itself is kind of meh. 
I like basically anytime Annalise and Erica duet. I think they're they're good singers. I think the vocalist is very the vocalists are very good at singing some generic songs. The songs themselves are generic. I think they've got I mean, this is also because I'm so used to like the modern day um Broadway style of singing where everyone sounds so fucking identical every single time. Mm-hmm. Just hearing anything different is nice. Okay, okay. Um, see, my problem is there are too many songs. Yeah, this was this was the Barbie movie franchise's first musical. So they were really um, filling up that runtime with yeah some musical numbers. Yeah, I I think they really really wanted to push it. Oh, and push it they did because yeah. you could tell by I don't know like the second time a song was reprised from earlier in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie. It's like, hmm. So we're just padding now. 100%. I was, you know what, by the end of this film, I was so shocked that one of the animals didn't get a music number. I'm so glad they didn't. I was shocked, because, like, of course they're going to do that. They're sticking songs wherever they will fit. Why not give the fucking cat a... Give the cats a duet. Yeah, there you go. A romantic duet. the thing is, I think they would have... If they didn't realize, oh no, we set up that Erica is a singer, the king likes music, and we haven't given Erica a song that the king will overhear. You know, and you know how we know the king likes music is because uh, one of the royal advisors said to uh, Princess Barbie, uh, he Annalise. plays three different instruments. I'm not going to learn their names. I don't... I did. You have to. What is Annalise. Yeah. Erica. Annalise and Erica. As played by Barbie. They are both played by Barbie, yes. Got it. That makes perfect sense. This isn't like a Barbie and one is Barbie and one is Skipper. They are both Barbie. <laughs> They're not stereotypical Barbie. They're not President Barbie. They are Barbie. God, it was so great. Sorry not to go again on the Barbie movie. Well, um, we were just talking around it constantly, so it's fine. Uh, so I took my mom to see it. And uh, she sadly, she didn't love the movie itself. She did love the end credits, though, because she she did own a lot of those early Barbies. And your mom loves Ice Spice and Nicki Minaj. <laughs> That's it. That's the one. But, like, her, her learning about growing up Skipper was really funny. <laughs> She's like, what? No. What? How? Um, but also, it was interesting to learn that even in, like, the late 60s, early 70s, my mom did own several of the black barbies Mm -hmm. which just in terms of where and when she grew up is wild that like her parents would willingly be like yes let us buy our white daughter a black doll i have a theory that they were cheaper Um, oh absolutely but so they have a couple of the like in the end credits they have the actual dolls there and it was really cool seeing her go like oh i had that one Oh, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, just looking at my notes, uh, I thought it was kind of interesting how, like, again, this is paying lip service to, like, some progressive ideas, which is, like, something that apparently Barbie has been doing for 20 years now. Yeah, that's that's very much Barbie's deal. <laughs> yeah, like, always attempting to interject some kind of pro- progressive, like, political angle despite being, you know, paradoxically Barbie, the quote-unquote stereotypical femininity doll. Um, 
I, I do like how not only is there, like, no form of, like, romantic competition between the two uh, Barbie characters, uh, mm-hmm. Annalise and Erica, but also, even though it does end in a wedding, it ends with uh, Erica getting her freedom and saying, I'm just gonna go. Yeah, I, I, je- I, you know, I agree. I really liked that, that, like, the king was ready to marry her, and she was like, that's great, like, you're great, I like you, I want to travel, I want to see the world because this is my opportunity to see what I can do. And his line of, like, because he gives her a ring anyway, and she says, are you sure? And he says, I'll take my chances. Like, that was a genuinely sweet moment for this, technically, the secondary romantic couple. Yeah. For, for like, him to be like, you know what? I trust that you will come back someday, and I trust that I'm not going to love somebody as much as I love you. Is a surprisingly complex romantic notion to put in a kids' movie. It's a it's a better message than it has any right to be. Yeah, and that even like the line that the narrator has of sometimes freedom means choosing to come back. It's not it's not a bad thing to include yeah. in your little Barbie movie. Yeah, because freedom, and I think that is that is a genuinely interesting idea of freedom because yeah, freedom in the way that we think of it, means going away, means running far, far away from where you started. Freedom under a monarchy where your expectations of society are, like, bred into the class you're born into. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there's something happening here, much like with uh, Gerwig's film. Like, there are politics happening. Not really sure if they're, like, great, but they're happening. They're, they, they sure are there. It's, it's like, continuing the lip service here. It's that, like, Annalise Barbie, like, she has aspirations in the sciences. She yes. would much rather just read her science books than she, be a princess. She wants to be an academic, not a leader. So there you go. It's there. Mm-hmm. She's, she's still a princess. She still marries. She retains all of her wealth and royalty. But, you know, but, you know she, she likes she books. But, she marries for love, not for political consolidation. No, but, you know... Thank God that they switch from a gold-based economy to a geode-based economy. God, I knew that was going to happen the second, like, I mean, obviously, the second that that geode shows up in the opening scene with the idiots. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, oh, it's amethysts. And so I live somewhere where there's just a fuckload of amethysts. They are everywhere here. And it's so funny seeing anyone, like, treat Amethyst as having any sort of value. When I know of people who grew up in areas where Amethysts were so common that they would use them to, like, sand their streets in the winter. <laughs> you you grind up Amethyst. And so I so, just saw that geode at the beginning and was like, oh no. Oh no, you're gonna move to an Amethyst-based economy? That's a terrible idea. So you're saying that that can't sustain a monarchy? I am saying that that cannot sustain a monarchy. So are you saying that like, like, like the economy of like, uh, kingdoms, it doesn't work like, oh, it's okay. We're fine. We found another shiny rock. (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, we're we're out of debt again. Shiny rock. It's fine. It's fine. We got shiny rocks. And and I will say that's like one of the places you can find mainframe entertainment doing good work because those geodes look really good. They look nice. Yeah, they are effectively shiny and sharp. 
it's it's pretty much the exact same uh, design and animation style they use for the Energon in Beast Wars. Oh yeah, it is. Repurposed. Yep, you reuse them models. Love it for them. Honestly, I think Barbie and um, the Transformers should meet. Hasbro oh, and Mattel. I don't worry, they get their ways. Come to both are agreement. planning. Both are apparently planning mass cinematic universes because that's what people wanted. God, the ending of Beast Wars, the movie, being like, "Hey, here's our GI Joe movie pitch," was so heartbreaking. See, that's where I know that they have absolutely no idea how, to, like, what people want out of, like, a Hasbro cinematic universe. I mean, first off, they don't want one, but because we live in the world we do. Mm-hmm. Like, no, they don't want G.I. Joe. They want fucking... They want the Beast Wars to meet the Pound Puppies. They want Power Rangers. They, they want the Beast Wars to, like, just run amok on some Furbies. I feel like what audiences actually want is just more Beasties. They want the Beasties to go to Candyland. They, they want, want these kind of things. They want Rat Trap to be alive again. They want... Yeah. Like, they don't want, like, a G.I. Joe crossover. They, they want, want weird shit. Like, sincere... Weird shit. Oh like, god, they, sorry, I'm just I'm just double checking something. There's just a bit of animation I noticed in uh, the duet that Julian and Erica have when like he's teaching her how to be a princess. There's like a genuine shot, I think, of a book just floating into his arm in a way that tells me they thought that that would be off screen. Like it just kind of goes whoop into his hand. Yep, no, it does that. Hey, look. They were under a <laughs> lot of pressure. And they did so good. I mean, the metaphysics, metaphysics of Barbie is um, something that you can just hash out any way you want. Mm-hmm. As Gerwig did, as this film kind of did. I mean, we have a whole scene here of how exactly do they do the ghost fake out? Uh, the cat is under a sheet, but also is genuinely flying. Just floating. Just floating. Because, because, this is a Barbie movie, everything can float with imagination. Yeah, you can just imagine, like, a toddler off-screen using the ethereal force of her arms, like, holding up the cat under the sheet. Because toddlers can be trusted to play with Barbie animals? No, those are absolutely a choking hazard. Yeah, they'd eat them. Yeah. They would definitely do eat not them. let your toddler have Barbie cats. So you're saying that like Barbie pets, that toy line is like the great filter. Yeah, that is for humanity. The, that is the distinction between toddlerhood and childhood. It's the one test. Yeah, is can you be trusted with a Barbie cat? If you can make it to like age 13 without having swallowed a Barbie <laughs> Mattel toy, then you know what? You're ready. You're ready for life. It's one of the things that like how the did Polly Pockets last as long as they did? I just felt like they had a really great legal team <laughs> with an with like an those, undefined number of NDAs. Those oh, original, like actual pocket-sized Polly Pocket things, like those are tiny. Those are one hundred. Those are very swallowable. They are the same size as Tic Tacs. Roughly, yeah. You could eat them, and you and you should. Well, a... we can we can say that because Polly Pocket I don't think exists anymore. But I well, think there no, is a Polly do, Pocket they're movie. Just, they're much bigger now. I think there's a Polly Pocket movie there coming out. There were several. 
No, like by, oh, by Lena a... Dunham, I believe. What the fuck? Ew. Yeah, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, because they, uh, they sure as hell have announced, like, intentions to make everything. Like, a Monopoly movie has technically been announced with, according to some people, Ridley Scott attached direct, but we'll fucking see how that happens. Let's talk a little bit, just a little bit about this cast. Let's! Um, so, just to, to like, the obvious one, uh, our, your friend and mine, Kelly Sheridan, played Barbie for, like, almost a decade. She is Barbie. She is Barbie. She's Barbie! Uh, in fact, she wasn't replaced in the role until 2015. Like, there was, like, there was a brief period where, um, where they cast somebody else for, like, two movies, and then they were like, nah, we need Kelly. I think her performance is good. I mean... Yeah. I was genuinely surprised that she wasn't also the singing voice for both Barbie and Erica, because... Yeah, I don't know who to the credit for that, either her or the singing voice, but uh, it's a great sounding, um, it, it's a great, like, approximation of that voice, but I, j just in the same way that, uh, again, to bring up Gerwig's film, how Margot Robbie says, like, well, I'm the Barbie you think of when you think of Barbie. I'm stereotypical Barbie. Yeah, when Kelly I hear... Sheridan is the voice I think of when I think of Barbie. That is the Barbie voice, yeah. And I don't know because like she's done it for God knows how many films, but I it just it just has a Barbie intonation to it. Yeah, uh, kind found... of bubbly, kind of sharpness. Like it's yeah. it's Barbie. She I does found, a good. I, I did role. find it again. Um, she was briefly replaced um, by by Diana Karina in 2010. Um, and then she returned in 2012 for Barbie Mermaid Tale 2, and then was replaced uh, with uh, Erica Lindbeck, who is uh, is American. So they made the mistake of replacing Barbie with an American voice actor. <laughs> no. Which... Bar Barbie must either be Canadian or Australian. Yeah. Never... Never American. And that's... <laughs> there's, there is an interesting thing in this voice cast where the music is exclusively done in LA. So all of the spoken dialogue is done by Canadian voice actors, but all of the music was recorded by Americans. I I think except for the case of Martin Short who also did his own singing. Yeah, but I mean But he, he must is, have recorded that in LA. Exactly. That's the thing is that he has dual citizenship. He is Canadian American. Um and as most Canadian American famous people, he lives in LA. Yep, you got to make a living. Yeah. Um. So the voice, so the uh, Kelly Sheridan voices both Annalise and Erica. She and voices Barbie. She voices Barbie. So she's both of them. Yep. That's um, how that works. The the singing voices are broken up into two. So for Princess Annalise, we have Melissa Lyons who has done a lot of singing for Barbie. That's basically everything she's done. So she's a canonical Barbie singing voice. Yes. Cool. Um, and then for Erica, we've got Julie Stevens, who, like, her, literally her only other role that I've got on her page is Life After Tomorrow from 2006. She was just in a documentary. Hmm. So, like, this was her, her one big role. All right, good for her. In in film, and then for our our Kens, uh, we've got uh, 
as as King Dominic, we've got the dual Marks, uh, Mark Hildreth, as uh, as the speaking voice, and he's our Canadian one, and uh, he's uh, he's an old friend of Cartoon Night in Canada because he's weird guy in the Hollow. So we're calling that a friend, are we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Welcome, uh, friend. Uh, and then the singing voice is Mark Luna, who's also like. He's just he's just the Ken singing voice. Good for you. Yeah. That probably pays pretty well. I would assume so. Uh no disrespect to Mark Hildreth, but I don't know. Generic performance you're not given enough to do. I mean, like, again, this is a Ken. This is a Ken. You you don't have to stand out. Yeah. Cause when you stand out, you steal the fucking movie, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> God. Imagine being born for that role and owning it. I can't. I'm I'm not Kenuff. You are Kenuff! Yeah. Anyway, who is Other Ken? Uh, Other Ken, uh, Julian, is uh, another Canadian boy. Julian, or sorry, Alessandro Giuliani. Son of Rudy. I presume so. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know you know Rudy Giuliani's Canadian son? <laughs> yeah, don't you? No, because um, he doesn't exist. He is he is uh, mostly known for uh, anime dubbing. Specifically, he has done every single English dub version of L in Death Note. That is Good for you, dude. Both anime and the live action movies. Good for you, dude. I like how they retained it for the live action, but I'm also seeing here a something that has been common for the names mentioned thus far. Uh, a lot of Lego movies. A lot of Lego movies, yeah. And a lot of other, I mean, Vancouver-based actor. A lot of other mainframe entertainment stuff. I mean, you work with mainframe once, you're in their roster forever. You're, you're put in their Rolodex, you cannot escape. God, I was so bummed uh, at work a couple months ago. We used to have a Rolodex. And they recently got rid of it. Bastards. Like, How will you keep track of numbers? How will I keep track of all the priests in town? What, do you want me to put those on my own phone? Ridiculous. No, you don't want a priest in your phone. That's... I don't, I don't need that. That's gross. Um, and rounding out our main cast, we have, as you mentioned, Martin Short as our villain primager. The one big name. He's, he's the get for this movie. I mean, no disrespect to the other actors. There are big names there to us. But I'm, this yeah, is... I'm going to say, Kelly Sheridan is a fucking celebrity to me. This is the one where the parents buying their kids. This is the name that when the parents buy their kids the movie at Walmart, they go like, what the fuck? Martin Short? I know that guy. Huh, maybe I will watch this with you. You see, little girl, there was a show called SCTV. Uh, Martin Short, or as I like to call him, the guy I routinely confuse with Steve Martin. As I call him, the overrated comedian. I've never we, found him funny. This I is probably the hot the take. Thing. Yeah, this, this is probably the hot take of the of the episode. I don't get the appeal of Martin Short. What the fuck else has he even done? Jiminy Glick is the big one. He was an SCTV guy. He had a lot of voice acting work throughout the 2000s because you could just put him in those roles, but it's like... You know why I always confuse him with Steve Martin? 
Because they were in a movie together? Yeah, because they did Prince of Egypt together. And they they sang a duet together, and it's the worst part of the movie. It's not a good song. Uh, their performance, like, it's it takes up too much air because, God forbid, Martin Short doesn't overact. I will say, he's the one clearly having the most fun. No, but the, the two of them, plus, um, what's her face? Oh, God. I can only think of her as the woman from the blind side, even though that's not even her, her most famous. Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. The three of them combined, they all think they're too good for this movie. You're talking about the Prince of Egypt. Yes. No, I do not think he thinks he's too good for Barbie Princess and the Popper. No, he's having a great time. He's having a fantastic time, and that's it's a better performance than what he gives for Prince of Egypt. Yeah, I I will say, like, he, his performance here is, like, it's interesting for how hard he bites down on the scenery with every one of his vocal deliveries. Yeah, I mean, that's partially why the other famous TikTok sound from this movie is him going, it's a temporary setback. Like, just giving way too much. And of course that's gonna stick out to audiences. But yeah, I just never found this guy funny. Like, I haven't seen Clifford. I have not, like, his big comedic roles. I have not seen uh, Inner Space. I've not seen... I have not seen Three Amigos in forever, but, like, it's John Landis' movie, so I probably won't see it anytime soon. Uh, yeah, I just... I just don't get him as a comedian, and the fact that every now and then, for, like, some Canadian advertisement, he's just kind of paraded out. It's like, hey, I'm Martin Short. Yeah. Remember me? That's kind of just his... his... shtick. Like, I, I, w I will say he did not make me laugh in this movie, but... No. I could appreciate him trying. As someone yeah. who's like number one detractor of Martin Short, he's out here doing he, it. He gave it his all. He certainly tried to make you laugh, even if he didn't. That's, I mean, that's everything I see him in. <laughs> yep. He's putting an effort in. Godspeed. And let's just uh, wrap this up with the two animals. Oh, God. Three animals. I was not prepared for this. Uh... Serafina, Wolfie, and... The, what's the dog's name? Does the dog have a name? Oh, oh, it's Midas. Great. Um, so we've got Kathleen Barr and Ian James Corlett. So both Canadian voice acting royalty as yep. Serafina and Wolfie. And uh, as Midas, the villainous dog, we've got Jan Robson. Not familiar with him, but I mean, Ian James, Ian James Corley, Kathleen Barr, like they've worked with Mainframe before. They're in their Rolodex. They're doing the best they can. I, yeah. I kind of like the performance. I don't like how much that Ian James Corley has to bark though. Yeah, yeah, that's that's rough. Ha! Also, Jesus, the accent, <laughs> the accent was clearly his choice. Oh, 100%. I feel like all of the accents in this movie are just the the voice actors being like, oh, this is a fantasy world? Cool, I'm English now. Yeah, we're we're taking place, uh, Princess and the Pauper is, in like a um, somewhat European kingdom. Yeah, I mean... Somewhat. What, what other uh, kingdoms could a Barbie movie possibly touch on? 
So yeah, we'll get we'll get somebody with we'll get like you can do a British accent, you can do a Cockney British accent, you can have a Spanish accent, you can be French. Doesn't matter. The horse is French. The, the horse is played by um, oh, is it Optimus Prime or Me uh, Megatron? Um, that voice actor. Gary Chalk. I no, I thought it was. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, as Hervey the horse, Gary Chalk. Again. God, it is. <laughs> Rolodex. The mainframe entertainment Rolodex. Yeah. Like, if you had a bit part on Beast Wars or Reboot, you found yourself in a Barbie movie. Yeah. Um, and I will say, this is both uh, how it sounded like that, why it sounded like that, and why it looked like that. I sincerely love when animated movies have blooper reels. That was genuinely funny. That is the funniest yeah. part of the entire movie. Yeah, I I love because it takes extra work for both the voice actors and the animators to be like you have to commit to no, we're going to do a blooper reel. We are going to animate our 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 fictional actors fucking up. Yeah, it's it also plays with this weird metafictional space that Barbie occupies where it's like, yeah, yeah she is an actress playing the role of Princess Annalise. Yeah. And yeah, the, the cat has to do some, some crazy uh, stunts. So we obviously had a stunt uh, cat. Which it's, is um, the same thing. really funny. There's, um, I think there is, uh, there's a VeggieTales movie that does the same thing. And it cracked me up there too. And it's cool. just, it's, it's one of those just, uh, it's a little thing. Just a little extra work to keep the magic alive. Mm-hmm. And I'm and it's, and it's a lot more common in CGI animation than traditional animation because, you know, you're working with the models anyway. What's just one more scene on a pre-built shot? Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like they're changing... They're not fucking with the camera angles or anything. They're just making the model do a little something different. Yep. God bless them for it because it's the best part of the movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Final thoughts on this? It's a Barbie movie. Yeah, it's a Barbie movie. Um, I'm kind of glad that this isn't the kind of thing that was absolutely absorbed my childhood. Because right? I feel yeah, like I'd that... be a slightly more insufferable person about this right now. Yeah, and as much as I don't, I don't care for it, obviously I'm not the intended audience, and... There are so much more belittle. There's so much more like belittling children's entertainment that you could sit your kid in front of. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Like it just in terms of what what am I gonna make my kid watch this week? There are worse things you could do. And I'm just kind of nostalgic for a time when kids were watching busted ass CGI shows. Always. Like at a time when we just quite weren't there yet with. Uh, the approximation of real life with CGI animation, and we were still firmly stuck in, in the Uncanny Valley, kids didn't care. Yeah, no, kids thrive in the Uncanny Valley. Kids thrive in the Uncanny Valley. God bless them for it. So, yeah, mixed, but that's because, I, you know what, I can't help it. This was never made for me. It's that stupid Kenergy coming back. Yes, this was not my Barbie. My Barbie is currently making a billion dollars. But you know what? When you think about it, 
Barbie TM as the princess and the popper and Greta Gerwig's Barbie combined made a billion dollars at the box office. Yep. Good for both of them. Good for both of them. So, I guess that's going to do it for this latest episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, and how could you not, please consider giving us a like, share, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, because that helps us reach the widest possible audience. You can find the show on Twitter, still calling it Twitter, at Cartoon Night Pod, where we post new episodes every Saturday. Why would you call it anything else? I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like someone is really trying to, like, force a rebrand, and it's killing the company, but I, I don't know. That's weird. I don't know. It's, it still says twitter.com slash home when I go to the desktop, so I'm going to fucking call it Twitter, you idiot. Ah, <laughs> uh, $44 billion can't buy you a domain name. Wonderful. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sylvie Skeletons. What are you going to be doing on Twitter? Um... I mean, I could share pictures of my cat. I did just send you a picture of how my cat has shifted during the course of this recording. I'm sure it's post-worthy. Sorry, <laughs> tweet-worthy. God damn it. Absolutely. I fucked Rube. up. I fucked up. You can find me on Twitter at CinemaCreep, where I... Uh, fucking, I'll still be Barbie-pilled. I'll unleash my Kennergy on the timeline. Good. There you go.